0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 86 of the Draft Battles, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network do you believe? This is your host, Chris Cipote, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline as we look back at week two of the college football season and also get ready for week three, which is actually the first week without a matchup between ranked teams since October of 2017. Tony, does that mean anything to you?
1: Oh, I'm glad you pointed it out. I mean, I looked at the schedule. It was very uninspired. I didn't do the research that uh, that you did. I'm, I'm glad. So, no, but it just explains for the un- uninspired schedule. And I must say, everyone, we got to welcome Chris Tripoti back because he was over in Italy for a week and a half with his wife. And I got to ask you, Chris, did you see any of my relatives over there?
0: Uh, I mean, it's certainly possible. I don't know what your relatives look like, but if they look anything like mine, it's certainly possible. Uh, my wife did keep saying Throughout the trip, that hey, you're with your people or you're here. Do you see any of your people? And you know, so it's definitely interesting. I was there for 10 days. Well, we're supposed to be there for 10 days. Our flight got canceled on the way out, so it only ended up being nine, but still a good trip. Happy to be back in the saddle here, though, and uh, you know, back to the standard grind and routine.
1: Good to hear. Good to hear. I'm sure you ate a lot of gelato while you were over there.
0: A lot of gelato, a lot of pasta, a lot of pizza. They really don't have anything else there, though, so it's kind of good to get back and actually have other food options. It's, it's nice, but it's very carb-heavy and I was just carbo-loading the entire
1: time. Well, it's good to have you back.
0: Thanks, Tony, and it's good to be back and I'm glad we have a loaded show here ahead for all of our listeners, including some news on a couple of potential first-round prospects. But first, we have a word from our sponsors.
1: Chris, I got to ask you, if you were walking down the street, whether it be in Manhattan or whether it be in Naples, and you saw a $100, would you pick it up or would you keep on walking?
0: Well, as a New York City resident, I'm always in a rush, but even I would take the money. So the question for our listeners is, why do you keep picking winners and not betting on
1: them? You know, Chris, that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on.
0: And not only can you bet your picks before the game start, but you can also put some money down mid-game as well, just in case those winners you picked aren't, well, winning.
1: And if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season as well as the college season is the best time of year to do it. So join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit.
0: And they'll double your first deposit if you use promo code DRAFT to activate their offer. That's promo code DRAFT, D-R-A-F-T. And just visit MyBookie.ag today.
1: My bookie, you play, you win, and most importantly, you get paid.
0: Now to start today's show, we'll look back at week two action to one of the two ranked matchups on the schedule last week was Texas A&M at Clemson. In 2018, that game represented Kellen Mond's sort of coming out party as the quarterback for the Aggies in a 28-26 loss to Clemson. He was 23 for 40, threw for 430 yards and three touchdowns in that game. Now 2019's rematch Not quite as kind to Kellen Mond, similar completion rate, 24 for 42, but only 236 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and a 24 to 10 loss. And that touchdown came on the last play of the game. So they didn't score for 59 minutes and 59 seconds. Honestly, he played even worse than the stats look, even after Clemson lost most of his defensive line to April's draft. What stood out to you in this matchup, Tony?
1: Well, the first thing is is everyone was, you know, uh, was promoting this as the game of the week, and I always thought from the get-go it was going to be a blowout in favor of Clemson, and that's what it was. The good was the Clemson defensive back seven. Isaiah Simmons, who in talking to people, he's already projected as the top linebacker in this year's draft and a projected top 15 pick. Look phenomenal! Six tackles, one pass breakup. The athleticism and the explosion just oozes from this guy. A.J. Terrell, an underclassman cornerback uh, who I've graded right now as a fourth runner, though I think he could go higher. Six tackles, one pass breakup. Safeties, Kevon Wallace uh, and Tanner Muse uh, also played well. I believe Wallace led the game with all tackles. Uh, led the game in tackling, I should say. And then the bad was Kellen Mond. I mean, when we did our SEC preview at Texas A&M, I mentioned how Mond has got to prove that he's more than an athlete playing the quarterback position, and he's yet to prove it. I mean, he's a big, strong arm guy who's very mobile, who's all over the place with his passes, missing wide-open receivers, just making bad choices. And this is really, you know, not unusual for Jimbo uh, Fisher. I mean, you, you know, E.J. Manuel comes to mind, uh, Chris Ponder, although uh, he wasn't the same athlete uh, as Emmanuel or, or uh, Kellamond. Just really not a developed quarterback. Uh, You know, I think Mond moving towards his NFL future is going to have that tag, good athlete playing the quarterback position, but another refined passer and the game against Clemson just further proved that.
0: Yeah. I mean, his inconsistency and inaccuracy really started early in this one. Uh, He overthrew a potential touchdown on the first drive after one of his receivers beat Isaiah Simmons. You mentioned up the seam, a lot of his throws were high. They were behind receivers. He improved a bit in the second half, but Clemson wasn't really putting pressure on him. They were letting him have underneath passes, so he completed maybe six or seven in a row on one drive. Then they get into the red zone, and he throws an interception under pressure. So really was an uninspiring performance from Mond after a lot of people thought he took a step forward the week before. Now he's kind of back to the drawing board, but you mentioned a lot of the Clemson defensive players. I mean, Kayvon Wallace comes up hard and runs support. Tanner Muse is the same way. Also showed some ability and coverage. You rip the ball right out of the receiver's hands on a red zone fade to keep the touchdown off the board. Isaiah Simmons, as you said, Really fast, a guy that they're lining up everywhere. They lined him up on the back end, 10 to 12 yards off the ball. They lined him up five to seven yards off the ball. So they're really using him as a hybrid player and utilizing his entire skill set, which is good to see and will also really help his projection to the NFL in terms of what we're looking at because we've seen him do so many different things.
1: Listen, you go back. I wrote about Isaiah Simmons after his redshirt freshman year when he played safety. I mean, he was basically rotational safety. And, and you can see the talent was there. And back then I had him as a second-round pick. This year I got him as a first-round pick uh, off the sophomore film and I'm hearing first round. I'm hearing top 15 as a linebacker. But, I mean, he's going to be that versatile defensive type of uh, player. You know, sort of like your uh, your, your running back or your, your speedy receiver that you use in the slot, you use in the flank, you use the run versus. It's going to be the same thing with Simmons. You're going to use him on the outside. You're going to use him on the inside. You're going to ask him to blitz. You're going to put him over the slot receiver because he is that athletic. His instincts need a bit of polishing, but the fundamentals are there. And the thing is, he's shown progress every year.
0: Now, the next game we'll discuss is the former – 21st ranked team in the nation, Syracuse traveling to Maryland and losing by 43 points. Now we were excited to watch Dino Babers' offense with Tommy DeVito under center against the Maryland secondary led by safety Antoine Brooks and quarterback Dino Ellis. DeVito, actually a decent day on the stat sheet. 28 for 39, 330 yards, three touchdowns, one lost fumble, one interception. Syracuse just couldn't keep up with Maryland on this day. I mean, 63 to 20 was the final score. The two guys I mentioned before, Brooks and Ellis. Brooks finished with nine tackles. Ellis had four in a pass breakup. But the story here, 42 first-half points for the Terps, Tony.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of it came down to uh, you know their speedy little uh, ball carrier, Anthony McFarlane, who did well as a ball carrier and a, uh, a pass catcher. Uh, also, Javon Lee came in, had a couple of big plays. Syracuse was not in this game from the get-go. I mean, they moved the ball. They couldn't score. Maryland would get the ball and score. It was a blowout from the beginning. I was very impressed with Antoine Brooks. Uh, As I said about Brooks coming into the season, I love his ball skills. In fact, I think he's got better ball skills than Darnell Savage. And I thought Tino Ellis also played well. I mean, Syracuse didn't have the ball for all that long, but when they threw the ball, they threw away from Tino Ellis. And he's a guy who, he's got great size. He's got terrific computer numbers for the next level. He's got to develop his game and opponents are staying away from him because they know he's got that potential to break up passes or intercept throws. Uh, he's got a high upside. I, I thought he played very well. I like Brooks' game a little bit more because he's more involved, but Tino Wells just wasn't involved by the mere fact that Syracuse stayed away from him.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Anthony McFarland, too, because he's a guy that was really just electric and explosive, catches passes, as you said, cuts on a dime. I mean, he really doesn't lose speed at all in and out of his cuts, Excellent acceleration. Runs some pretty good routes, too. Sharp routes, especially on like banana outs and things like that. He's slippery in the open field. I mean, while he's a little small, he's under 200 pounds. He's not quite 5'10", but I mean, this guy is a playmaker, and whether he's a feature back at the NFL level, which he's most likely not, or whatever he is, he's going to make an impact on Sundays.
1: Yeah, not 5'10". He may not even be 5'9", if he he even is 5'8", but... He's lethal whenever the ball's in his hands. He can score from any point on the field. You can use him as a pass catcher out of the backfield. You can use him, you know, he's going to be good for the return game. He's a guy who I think is going to go second day in the draft because of his versatility. Won't be a feature back, but you're going to get some creative offensive coordinator that's just, just going to find ways to get the ball in his hands.
0: Now, another Big Ten defense we were watching last weekend was Nebraska visiting Colorado and quarterback Steven Montez. Now, this game was really fun. It looked sort of similar to the Syracuse-Maryland game early in terms of it being one-sided on the scoreboard. It was 17-0 Nebraska at halftime. It was 17-7 after three quarters, but the teams combined for 38 points in the fourth quarter, sent it to overtime in an eventual 34-31 Colorado victory. Montez was 28 for 41, 375 yards, two touchdowns, one interception in last year's game against Nebraska. 33 for 50, 351 yards, and three touchdowns with no picks. Seems to kind of own the Huskers here, but he really wasn't at his sharpest early on. Had a bad interception after breaking the pocket. Didn't see Lamar Jackson sitting in zone coverage or get enough on his throw rolling to the right to get it over Jackson to his receiver. He's bailed out a couple times on some passes that might have had iffy ball placement. But overall, I'd say this was a solid performance by Montez. LaVisca Chenault was mostly a non-factor, just five catches for 31 yards really limited to underneath routes, in and out with an injury here and there. Montez, in the end, made good decisions, didn't make the big mistakes, brought his team back from a big deficit, managed the game. And that's something that's often seen as a negative trait for quarterback prospects. When you call them a game manager, all you're saying is that they don't have the arm or they don't have the big playability to be a high-end starter at the NFL level. But for Steven Montez, it's something that he really hasn't always done. It's something that you've wanted to see from him. So for him, I'd say it's a positive development based on this game.
1: Well, it's headed in the right direction, especially from where he ended the 2018 season. And, you know, he's just going to build on this. Uh, I think the big thing was, is for the most part, he stayed away from mistakes. That was an excellent uh, interception by Lamar Jackson, who like Tino Ellis of Maryland has got great measurables and is a guy who's got a lot of upside and scouts love that upside. He's just got to meet it. But as far as Montez is concerned, I mean, I think the the most redeeming factor is, you know, you mentioned how the Vista Chenault did not have a great game, but uh, uh, Montez did a good job spreading the ball around. I mean, he used a lot of his targets. Uh, Physical skills are are right there. I spoke with somebody today who said that hands down Montez right now is the number three senior quarterback uh, in the nation. Uh, And basically if he meets the potential that people think he has and he improves, you know, he's going to move into that, the fourth, maybe third-round area. I think that you're right. It was a solid game. It wasn't a great game, but considering where he was at the end of 2018 and considering the fact that coming into the year, Scouts had him graded as a seventh-rounder, it was a solid performance.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of solid performances, we'd be remiss if we did not mention Mustafa Johnson. Three sacks in this game. Used a nice swing move to get free on one. Really, overall, used his hands very well to stay clean and keep guys off his body forced a fumble on a stunt where he wasn't really getting anywhere at first, but stayed patient, waited for an opening, and closed in on Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez. He also sacked Martinez on 39 in overtime with Colorado up three, forced a long field goal attempt from a kicker that really wasn't set up for it. But in the end, Nebraska didn't want to go for it on fourth and long to try to convert the first down. So that's a big play there by Mustafa Johnson, kind of putting the Huskers' in no man's land where they really didn't have any good options there. Just a massive game overall for Johnson.
1: Coming into the season, I had Johnson graded as a seventh-round pick. I mean, he plays like his hair's on fire. He's quick. He's explosive. He's a guy who can stop the run. He can also rush the passer. He's not just a guy that plays in the box. He can get down the line of scrimmage and outside in space to make plays. The issue with uh, Johnson is is you know his size. He's probably going to go about 6'1". I, I don't think he's going to hit the measuring tape at 6'2". He's probably about 280, 285 pounds. You know, is he a three-technique tackle? Is he a conventional tackle on the four-man line? Can you use him at defensive end in a one-gap system where you have three defensive linemen and you're a linebacker standing up over tackle? I like him as a player. I think he's very explosive. I think he's going to be downgraded because of his measurables but he was terrific in this game. He was all over the place. He was a game changer. That's his game. I mean, even if you watched him as a sophomore in 2018, he showed flashes of that. He's putting it together, real good fun football player to watch. You know, I just don't know that he's going to be a great prospect for the next level, but I think, uh, you know, like if we go back to McFadden of Maryland, some defensive coordinator is going to find a position for him to play at the next level and thrive.
0: Absolutely. And our one last game here to review is a Vanderbilt, at Purdue, which was a 42-24 win for the Boilermakers, Vandy really struggled to get the running game going. Keyshawn Vaughn only had 17 carries for 56 yards and one touchdown. Actually wasn't as good as his prior outing against Georgia in week one when Vandy only put six points on the board. Two yards per carry to exclude his 23-yard long run. Ball State transfer Riley Neal, 24 for 35, 378 yards, two touchdowns, one interception after a bad opener versus Georgia. Elijah Lipscomb had eight catches, 98 yards. Jared Pinkney three catches, 61 yards. One nice grab. In the end, despite some of those stats, it was another loss for Vandy. They have 30 points in two games, despite having several NFL prospects on the offensive side of the ball. This is a team when we previewed the SEC, we were high on what they could do offensively, but so far that hasn't really come to fruition. Tony, what's up with the Commodores?
1: they just they can't get any rhythm. I mean, Riley Neal has not been good. The the, the numbers weren't terrible this this uh week against uh, Purdue, but he could, just could not get into a, a rhythm. I mean, it's too many three and outs. It's just not hitting uh on his passes. Uh the, the Keyshawn Vaughn's not helping him at all. I, I mean, Jared Pinkney has not been that good this year. Uh, you you look at you watch that game, Elijah Sindelar, the quarterback from uh Purdue, outplayed Riley Neal head and shoulders. It wasn't even close. And, and Sindelar's Really, not even graded by scouts. Uh, one sad note from this game is Marcus Bailey uh, produced top uh, NFL prospect, the guy who was graded as a potential top seventy-five pick by some scouts. A big, tough, uh, run-defending linebacker who, who's forceful, who's got great instincts. Hurt his knee; he's out for the rest of the season. So, be interesting to see if uh, he decides to enter the draft or he comes back for another full season. Uh, sh- since I am sure he's only played two games, maybe able to get another medical redshirt.
0: Now we'll move on to the new segment of our show, where a few days ago, Stanford coach David Shaw announced quarterback KJ Costello would return after missing the Cardinals 45-20 loss to USC last week. But he also announced that left tackle Walker Little, who's a first-round prospect on our board, would undergo knee surgery, which is going to end his 2019 campaign. Obviously also clouds his 2020 draft status. Will he return to school? Will he go out? Will it hurt his status if he does decide to declare for next April's draft? Tony, what's the latest on Little?
1: Well, a week ago, Pro Football Network, I I said that the word um, on Walker Little was the injury is not as bad as people think it is. Uh, and I got a little more confirmation on that. I'm told that it's a three to four month injury, which is why he's out the rest of the season. But if he decides to enter the draft – uh, he should be ready to work out for the combine. I have no idea. You know, Stanford guards their, uh, their information very closely. It's tough to get anything out of them. So I'm not sure exactly what the injury is. But I'm told he can be back in three to four months if he wants to start training for the uh, – if he de- decides to declare for the draft and starts uh, training for the combine, which I think he should. Whether he does or doesn't, I don't know. There has been no – I've been told that he's leaning one way or another. It'll be interesting to see. I, I think even if he uh, rehabs a knee and, and, and he's back to full force, even though he basically played uh, two games this year, and he didn't even play that great week one against Northwestern, uh, I still think uh, Walker Little's a first-round pick.
0: Now, we've been pumping up Utah State quarterback Jordan Love since last season. a three-touchdown opener against Wake Forest in a close loss. Three picks as well in that game. Some less gaudy numbers last week against Stony Brook, where Utah State won by 55 points. But in the end, people are taking notice of what we mentioned last year, and that's that Love is a big-time NFL prospect. It's getting a lot of first-round buzz of late. There are comparisons to Patrick Mahomes as far as style of play and the way he kind of slings the ball around the field. Those comparisons in that sense are legit. No one's saying that he's going to be the best quarterback in the league or anything like that, but that's not what stylistic comparisons are. Tony, what's the inside word on love around the league?
1: Scouts are falling more and more in love with Jordan Love. That's the bottom line. You know, the overall consensus out there is that the top two quarterbacks are Tua Tagliavoa and Justin Herbert. Not necessarily in that order. The more I hear from inside the league, it seems like Jordan Love is in that conversation. And Jordan Love, if he enters the draft could eventually be the first quarterback selected in the 2020 event. Really shouldn't surprise anybody. When I did my mock draft, my 2020 mock draft, after the 2019 draft was over, I did have Jordan Love as the 11th pick uh, selected by the Minnesota Vikings. I did get a lot of pushback from that. So really it's not that huge of a jump from a number 11 to, you know, into the top five, but the word I'm hearing now is while everyone's saying it's Tua Tagliabue or Justin Herbert for the first quarterback of the draft, scouts have put Jordan Love into that conversation, and in the end, Love could be the first quarterback selected if he continues playing the way he's playing and then enters the 2020 NFL Draft.
0: Now, we'll get to our week three previews in just a moment, but before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch. Now, as I mentioned at the start of the show, no ranked matchups this week. But that doesn't mean that scouts won't be looking at individual matchups in the games that remain. And the first one that we're going to take a look at takes us to Northwestern, where UNLV quarterback Armani Rogers. Faces a good Wildcats defense. Now, Rodgers had a good week one against Southern Utah. 11 for 17, 144 yards, one touchdown. Put a brutal second game against Arkansas State. 8 for 23, 42 yards, threw a pick six, and took six sacks. Now, rightfully so, there are questions around his starting job. There's also some questions around head coach Tony Sanchez's job security as well, because Sanchez is really trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. He asked Rogers to throw 19 times in the first half. That is not Rodgers' game. Freshman backup Kenyon Oblad came in three for three, 70 yards, including a 54-yard touchdown. He's more of the pocket passer type, whereas Rodgers is more of a mobile guy who you need to scheme into space. You need to get him running the football a bit. Now, Rodgers is still the starter for this week. Who knows if Sanchez is going to try to cater the offense to Rodgers' skill set a little more if he doesn't. We're probably going to see a blad at some point during this game against the Northwestern defense that has two NFL linebacker prospects and Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher. They only allowed 17 points to Stanford in week one. They've had two weeks to prep here for this game. Tony do Rogers and UNLV stand any chance?
1: Do they have any chance? No. And I mean, you talked about the coach of UNLV. It's not unusual that coaches, you know, it's a revolving door of coaches at UNLV. But the fact is, there are a lot of scouts who have their eye on Armani Rogers. He is a big athletic passer. He can make all the throws. I mean, he's more of a thrower than he is a passer at this time. You know, uh, go back to Calamond. He's a bit like Calamond in the sense that he's an athletic guy with a big arm who can make all the throws but really needs to uh, improve his passing technique. He, he started off hot in 2018, was injured towards the end of the year, sat on the bench. Uh, scouts love his physical skills. And, again, we're talking about another uh, another talented athlete playing the quarterback position from the Mountain West. This is going to be the the toughest uh, competition he faces all year. I'm not expecting a good outcome from him. You mentioned Patty Fisher. They got Blake Gallagher out there. They got Joe Gazziano, a uh, uh, defensive end who was rated by scouts, a guy who actually did a pretty good job against Walker Little when Stanford played against uh, Northwestern. Uh, Armani Rogers is a guy just to keep an eye on. He's got great physical skills. If he ever – basically turns those physical skills into being a polished or somewhat polished passer, you're going to be talking about Armani Rogers potentially as a middle-round choice for the 2020 or 2021 draft, depending on whether or not he stays in school for a senior season.
0: Now, another matchup between a West Coast offense and a Big Ten defense, this time is going to feature a running back in Arizona State's Eno Benjamin. He's had a slow start on the ground this year. 46 carries for 171 yards, scoreless on the ground, but seven catches, 126 yards, and two touchdowns through the air. Now, Michigan State's defense is allowing zero yards per carry, and they're going to be hosting Arizona State here. They held him, Eno Benjamin, that is, to 13 carries for 27 yards in that game, also had six catches for 54 yards. Tony, what do you expect to see from Eno Benjamin and the Michigan State defense?
1: Well, he's got to get off the snide, and he's got to get off the snide quickly because scouts expect a lot of him. There are some scouts who graded him, even though he's a junior, as a second-round pick, and there are people who think that he can be a feature runner at the next level. He's, he grinds it on the inside, although he's not a big guy. He's got the speed to uh, turn the perimeter. He's also a good pass catcher out of the backfield. He's going to be going up against a very good Michigan State defense. Joe Bocci, we've talked about him here a couple of times uh, on this podcast. Graded by some scouts as a potential late second-round choice. I have him as a third-rounder. 6'1 half, 235 pounds. Scouts think he's a 4'8", 40 guy. I think he plays in the four sevens. Smart, instinctive, tough as nails. I mean, a guy who sees the play unfold before it actually happens, gets to the spot, makes the tackle against the run, Also shows ability and coverage. Then they've got their safety, David Dowell, who I like a lot. I have him as a six-rounder. He's graded by scouts anywhere from the sixth round to a street-free agent. Six-foot, one-half-inch, 205 pounds. Runs in the mid four fives, but he's an explosive guy. He's got a great closing burst. He doesn't look slow on the field, and he's very forceful up the field. So, uh, along with Bocce, I'm sure that they're going to uh, they're going to key on you uh, know Benjamin.
0: Yeah, I mean for Benjamin here, you're really going to have to get him out in space. They used him as a receiver in the game last year. Herm Edwards is going to have to do that again to really get the most out of him because this Spartans run defense is truly nasty. You mentioned Joe Bachi; he's going to be probably tasked with covering Benjamin out of the backfield. So. In the passing game, I feel like that's a really interesting matchup to watch because Bocce is a three-down player. He's the guy that we're going to expect to be able to play in coverage at the NFL level, and Eno Benjamin will be a nice test for him, even if he's going to get a lot of help stopping him against the run.
1: And, you know, Chris, one other matchup that I think everybody's got to keep an eye on is the matchup between Cole Cabral, the center from Arizona State, versus that very tough and dominant uh, Michigan State defensive line. Cole Cabral gets a variety of opinions you know, throughout the league and, and even on the outside. I know there are some who think he's a second-day selection. A lot of scouts have already graded him as a seventh-rounder. I think he's more of a sixth-round pick. He's a guy who's got decent length at six four and a half. not the biggest guy in the world, 295 pounds, not the most athletic guy in the world, but a tough, slug-it-out, small area blocker. He's going to be going up against a couple of guys on that Michigan State defensive line. Ray Raekwon Williams, the fourth-year junior who some scouts think is a fifth-rounder. Right now, I have him as a sixth-rounder. Six four, three hundred 300 pounds, very explosive. Naquan Jones, another guy. Some scouts, he's a fourth-year junior. Some scouts think he's a, a fourth-round selection. That's going to be a terrific battle in the middle of the line. Naquan Jones and Raquan Williams of Michigan State against Cole Cabral of Arizona State. Something to keep an eye on.
0: And something else to keep an eye on in our next two previews is going to be a focus on wide receivers. First, we have Rico Bussey Jr. of North Texas. Had a big week one against Abilene Christian. Four catches for 156 yards and one touchdown. Had a highlight touchdown catch in double coverage on a flea flicker. Was shut out in the week two loss to SMU. And this week, he gets Cal and quarterback Cameron Bynum. Now, Bussy has two inches on Bynum. Bynum has good ball skills, which makes this one a very intriguing matchup. In addition, the Golden Bears have two safeties over the top in Ashton Davis and Jalen Hawkins, who we talked about recently on our Pac-12 previews. The real question here, Tony, is can Bussy get back on track?
1: Bussy is, you know, highly rated by scouts. There are some scouts who think he's a late second, early third-round choice. The guy has been a touchdown machine the past two years, had 12 touchdown catches as a junior, seven as a sophomore. He's got decent size. He goes about six foot, uh, six foot to six foot one, about 200 pounds. He's got an excellent burst of speed. He's a terrific route runner who knows how to separate through his routes or by finding the soft spot in the defense. Gets a little bit lazy with his pass-catching fundamentals. At times, there's a little bit too much of uh, grasping the ball against his, uh, against his frame. But, you know, he is basically, as they say, the straw that stirs the drink for the North Texas offense. And, you know, he's got to get back on his game real quickly. And against Cal, this is going to be the most difficult defense he faces all year. This is a great challenge and a great opportunity for him. You mentioned Cameron Byram, the underclassman. I have him right now as a third round selection. Uh, Ashton Davis, there are some scouts who think he's going to be a top 60 pick. I think he's more of a fifth rounder. We talked about him during our Cal preview, former high hurdler, more of a straight line guy, but someone that will intimidate anybody who comes into his area. And then there's Jalen Hawkins, who I think is a sixth round choice, not the athlete of his uh, teammate, Ashton Davis, but probably a better cover man, better over the slot receiver, better covering receivers on, on crossing patterns and in the middle of the field. This is a big opportunity for Rico Bussy and a lot is expected for him. So if you're able to get this game, uh, the, the, Rico Bussi, the receiver from uh, North Texas against that uh, Cal secondary, is something to key on.
0: Now, last but not least, this is our lone preview of an actual conference matchup. And we're going to go to the ACC, where Florida State wide receiver Tamori and Terry, who has 10 catches for 156 yards and one touchdown this season, will face off against UVA and quarterback Bryce Hall. Now, Terry turned a screen pass two weeks ago into a 75-yard touchdown against Boise State. Really shows some nice elusiveness in the open field for a 6'4 receiver. Six catches, 57 yards last week against Louisiana Monroe. Did have a touchdown called back. There was a miscommunication with James Blackman where he ran a vertical route. Brackman threw a stick and it ended up as a pick six. But this will be an interesting matchup. How do you feel about Terry and also about Bryce Hall, who's probably going to be tasked with guarding Terry in this matchup?
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's strength against strength. Both guys are polished. Uh, Terrian is, is a solid pass catcher. He runs decent routes. He's a competitive guy, as is Bryce Hall. I mean, the thing about these guys is neither of them are speedsters. They're both uh, basically one-speed athletes who don't have the second year. Uh, so it'll be fun to watch. I think Florida State's got to win because the Florida State coach is obviously on the, on the uh, hot seat. Uh, but again, you know, you're talking about Bryce Hall right now. Who probably figures into the third round, and Tamarion Telly, who's my number one rated Florida State prospect, who's a fourth rounder. So it's not a world beater, it's, it's not a, a first rounder against a first rounder, but basically, you're looking at maybe a nickelback against a slot receiver for the next level.
0: Now, we don't think it's a first rounder against a first rounder, but Bryce Hall is a guy who has been getting a lot of first round love. He was getting it in the summer. I've seen him in mock drafts in the first round, I've even seen him in the top 10 of mock drafts. I mean, obviously. He did get to face off against Pitt in week one when he faced Maurice French and Taysier Mack. But I'd say Terry's going to be his biggest challenge so far. And I mean, if he doesn't dominate this matchup, it's really hard to see how he does end up fitting into the first round next April.
1: Never had him as a first rounder. I mean, from speaking with scouts, the earliest they have him is mid-second round. Some scouts have him as a mid-third rounder, which I feel is a better fit for him. He's a smart, instinctive football player. He's got solid ball skills. I just don't think he's a great athlete, which is what's going to push him down draft boards.
0: And that's it for the 86th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Belief Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. Obviously, the college football season is heating up here as we head into the third week. So head over to profootballnetwork.com, no longer draftanalyst.com as a friendly reminder, where Tony will be publishing his weekly risers and sliders. I'll have a live blog going up every Saturday as well. So make sure you check out all the content over at PFN and keep up to date with all the NFL draft prospects to watch heading into the heat of the season and conference play. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Trapoti, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for
1: listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.